Grace to you and peace, from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text this week, the sixth week after Trinity, is the Gospel reading Matthew chapter 5. In the third chapter of St. John's Gospel, the Pharisee Nicodemus came to visit our Lord under the cover of night. As a member of the Pharisees near the beginning of our Lord's ministry, Nicodemus couldn't be seen taking a positive attitude toward our Lord. Yet he desired to hear more from him, and so he went by night. We know from the end of St. John's Gospel that Nicodemus was brought to faith. He assisted in the burial of our Lord. But as yet, at the beginning, he wasn't quite there. Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, if you take this out of context, it doesn't sound so bad, but really what Nicodemus is doing here is buttering Jesus up. He's flattering him. Now, our Lord saw right through this, and he said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this might seem an odd way for our Lord to respond. We we heard this back on Trinity Sunday, and it seemed odd then, but there is a logic here. Jesus said to Nicodemus that he was trying to approach him by human reasoning and logic. Nicodemus was relying on his own mental capacity to propel him into a place of faith. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus later said that flesh begets flesh, while spirit begets spirit. One cannot approach Christ through human means and methods. One must be born again, as Jesus said. The word that Jesus used, though, isn't the word for again. The word that Jesus uses means from above, as in, you must be born from above. This confused Nicodemus, which is why he wondered if an old man could go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time. What Jesus taught is that to enter God's kingdom, something's got to change. We must become different than we are now. We must be born from above. We must receive a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. That righteousness is Christ's, which he counts to us by his grace through faith. Our text this week is one that we might be familiar with. It comes from a portion of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, just shortly after the Beatitudes. In this passage, our Lord covers a lot of ground very quickly. And so this time, I'd like us to focus in on just one verse, Matthew 5, verse 20. Jesus said, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Up to this point, our Lord had been speaking about his relationship to the Old Testament. His ministry and his teaching weren't the abolishment of the Old Testament, but its fulfillment. Through the lens of Christ, we receive the correct understanding of the Old Testament and a new relationship to it. Jesus also taught that the law must continue to be preached in its full sternness so that we might learn to recognize our sin and look to Christ for forgiveness. The fact is, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now let's ask the Lutheran question, what does this mean? What is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Well, to be sure, there is a righteousness associated with the Pharisees and scribes. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees were viewed as the good guys, the holy ones. And they were viewed like this because the Pharisees and the scribes had devised a system, a system by which they could keep the Ten Commandments, or so they thought. They took the commandments, and then they broke them down into over 600 little pieces, so that with each of the Ten Commandments broken down, they would be easier to keep. The problem was that these smaller commandments were man-made. They were in addition to the Scripture. And often they contradicted the Scripture, or they even negated it. Still, the Pharisees, or at least some of them, believed that by keeping these commandments, which they believed they could do, they would be holy, righteous, and good in God's eyes. There is a word for this type of thinking, this type of righteousness which our Lord condemns. It's called works righteousness. Works righteousness. We ourselves are not immune to this sort of thinking, by the way. We all, by nature, bear within ourselves the corruption of original sin, the old Adam. And the old Adam, well, he sort of loves this kind of stuff. You see, we're always measuring ourselves against others and saying, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You just did it, didn't you? You thought that. Or, when we hear a commandment that speaks against something that we have done, and we know it, we try to weasel around and find some way that we have kept at least part of that commandment. In the text, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus brought up the fifth commandment. How many times have you heard someone say, Well, it's not like I killed somebody. How many times have you said it? And we do this with every commandment. You can go through every single one of those commandments. We always try to find some way to excuse ourselves from the condemnation of the law. Some way to to weasel out and claim that we have kept the commandments when we stand rightly accused. We are all Pharisees, 
And a Pharisee's righteousness by works will not help us. If we try to count on our works, if we try to count on our own goodness to carry us into eternal life, we will end up in hell. The righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes must be exceeded, and there is only one to do it, Christ. St. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness which abounds beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees is the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author and source of all life, the creator of all that exists. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by uniting himself to our human flesh. Though Jesus is the author of the commandments, he subjected himself to them, and he kept them fully. Jesus made no excuses. He kept the law according to the letter and the spirit. But then he submitted himself to the penalty of the law, and he suffered the outpouring of God the Father's wrath in place of all mankind. Jesus is truly righteous, and he is the righteous one. His alone is the righteousness which surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, and he counts his righteousness to us by faith. Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born from above. He must be born in a different way. He must become different than he had been born naturally. Same for us. We each were born with the same corruption of sin, just like our parents, and just like their parents before them, and their parents before them all the way back. Knowing that we, too, needed to be born from above, our Lord made it happen in the washing of holy baptism. In the washing of baptism, Christ claimed us as his own. He united us to his own death and resurrection so that we too might die to sin. In baptism, Christ clothes us in his righteousness. He counts his righteousness to us when we believe these promises, which he also brings about by his Holy Spirit. Now this last week, the funeral Paul has come up in a couple of different conversations When we clothe the casket of our Christian brother or sister in that white garment, it symbolizes exactly what St. Paul writes about in Romans chapter 6. In baptism, we were united to Christ. His death became our death. His life became our life. His righteousness became our righteousness. By faith. 
And this is the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. There's a hymn in our hymnal that ties this all together better than I probably can. It's the hymn, All Christians Who Have Been Baptized. And this is number 596 in the Lutheran service book. Stanza 2 of the hymn goes like this. You were before your day of birth, indeed from your conception, condemned and lost with all the earth, none good without exception. For like your parents' flesh and blood turned inward from the highest good, you constantly denied him. Then it continues. But all of that was washed away, immersed and drowned forever. The water of your baptism day restored again whatever old Adam and his sin destroyed, and all our sinful selves employed according to our nature. In baptism we now put on Christ. Our shame is fully covered with all that he once sacrificed and freely for us suffered. For here the flood of his own blood now makes us holy, right, and good before our Heavenly Father. Jesus said that if we would like to enter heaven, our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Of ourselves, we could never do this. Therefore, he gives us his own, washing us in baptism and counting his righteousness to us by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.